0: The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. So far this summer in our sermon series, we've really plumbed the depths with with Esther and with Mordecai, and and with good reason. They are really what you might call the protagonists of the story. They're the the main characters. But today, we're going to stop and pause and consider what you call the antagonist. We're going to look at Haman in this story. And we're going to do that for two reasons. And I want you to know this is when we read the lesson in just a minute. The first reason is this. Haman is actually the most vivid and the most brilliant character you might say, description-wise, in the story. So he's not a flat character at all. We get his emotions described. He, we're going to see that he, he gets extremely happy in this part of the story. He also gets extremely angry in in like zero time at all. And we're going to look at that here this morning. In comparison to this, did you notice this that Mordecai and Esther are very flat characters? We don't. We're not told that they feel fear. or or anger, or happiness, or anything like that. But we get that for Haman. So that's the reason, one of the reasons why we want to look at Haman. Here's the second reason, though. In the Scriptures, we're told a lot about pride. There are many proverbs, many sayings about pride. See if you can finish this saying. Pride comes before the fall. I knew you could do it. So pride is... There's a description of pride and its destructive power throughout the Bible. I could argue that Haman is maybe the longest case study, the longest story of what happens to a prideful person in the entire Bible. And I think for good reason, we should should take a look at that here this morning. I don't think I'm saying too much if I say this, that the truths about pride, if we are willing to believe them, will save us literally years and years of pain and instead put us on the path to humility, which is a good spiritual place to be. Here's Esther chapter 5. We're going to read verses 9 through 14. You can follow along on page 13, there in your bulletin. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh's wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Have a pole set up, reaching to the height of 50 cubits, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. And look what happens to Mordecai. This suggestion delighted Haman. And he had the pole set up. So we're the Lord. In in some ways, Haman here is emotionally stunning. Because in less than a verse. He goes from being happy and filled with high spirits, the narrator says. And in less than a verse, his day just absolutely bottoms out. And he's filled with anger. It's an emotional turn of events that's like a Ford Mustang going from zero to 60 in like one second. I mean, think about it. He, Esther invites him to a banquet. And he walks out of the king's presence thinking, wow, things are good for me because I'm good enough. Here's a Saturday Night Live thing. I'm good enough. People like me. And doggone it, people like me. You remember that on Saturday Night Live? So Haman's pulling one of those things. And then he walks down to the king's gate and there's Mordecai. And Mordecai, after the edict, he's actually more belligerent than ever. Did you notice this? Now, not only will he not bow down and get on his knees to Haman, now he won't even stand up in his presence. And Haman just can't have this. He goes from cloud nine to being filled with anger In 1.2 seconds, it seems like. Why does this happen? How is it that one person can make Haman feel super good and then one person can fill him with anger in no time at all? I got a. So this happened to me. I got a text about an email that I had sent three months before. And the text said, your email still bothers me. I got to tell you this. I, I wrote that email. It, it wasn't even a big deal. I, I wrote the email in like five minutes flat, literally. And then I sent it, and I never thought about it again. It didn't bother me. It wasn't something that was in my heart at all. And then I get this text three months later and I said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that this text was, that my email was going to, you know, do this. I I just wrote it really quickly. And then I thought, How is it that one person can disturb another person's emotional life so much that one email can throw them off for month after month? After month, just one person. You know what it is? It's pride. We we could spend a, a long time this morning defining pride as, as total self absorption. That's really what it is, caring only about yourself. But really, I want to I want to look with you at the effects of pride in the life of Haman, and in our own lives. So I wanted to show you this. The first thing that we need to learn about pride is this. Pride turns us into emotional slaves. I want to say that again. Pride turns us into emotional slaves to others. Now think about that, think about that for Haman. He was an emotional slave first to Esther because he couldn't derive any happiness until H- Esther had said, come to my bank. Then he became the emotional slave of who? Mordecai. Mordecai's not even standing up anymore. And so Mordecai ruins his day. He was an emotionally dependent man because of pride. Now think about this in your own life. And this is, one person said it it like this, that we are often moved emotionally, spiritually, by the praise of the praiseworthy. So this happens actually this this actually happens, so think about it like this. you're an employee and and you're at this uh company meeting, and the CEO, the praise of the praiseworthy says about you now this employee is is my star employee she' is doing amazing things at this company, and she's she's a star now, what would that do to your day? Boom, right? Wow, am I happy? Wow. Doing pretty good, or maybe you're a student and, and you turn in your essay, right? And the teacher writes in the margin, "I, in the ten years that I've been teaching, this this is like the best essay that I've ever that I've ever read." And what happens? Wow, I'm pretty good, and you have a good day, right? But then then something happens, and you look on Facebook, somebody makes this passive aggressive comment. They don't name your name, but you know you know it's about you, right? You know it, and then what happens? You can't get it out of your heart. You're thinking about this. Sometimes weeks, sometimes months. Why? Because we can easily become emotionally dependent. We become emotional slaves of others because of our pride. Now, I want to be clear about this. This this is easily avoided. (laughs) You know how, how? We talked about this. The praise of the praiseworthy is what moves us, and we actually need this. Now, who is the most praiseworthy being? Well, God is. (laughs) God says about you, you are my son. Through Jesus, you are my daughter. And he says, with you, I am well pleased. Not because we have earned it or deserved it, but simply out of his great love and mercy. Now, shouldn't that set us free from riding the emotional roller coaster, from caring just a little bit less about what so-and-so said and caring a little bit more about the most praiseworthy person on the face of the earth thinks about you? But that's not usually what happens, is it? We don't take the time to pause and think, you know what my God thinks about me? Instead, we pull off and pull a Haman. Did you notice what he does next to try to make himself feel better? So he goes home, the story says, and he can't live with himself. Like, there's no podcast. There's no TV to distract him. This thing thing is bothering him. And so you know what he does? He calls together his friends and his family, his wife. And what does he begin to do? He begins to boast. Now, (laughs) Uh, Sidebar for just a second. Sidebar for just a second. Because it's amazing. I amaze myself with this. The Word of God is so clear that God does not want us to boast in ourselves and in our families, right? So clear. But then why is it that we always have to put on our bumper of our cars, my child, you know, was student of the month. Why do we do that? Why do we have to talk about how, you know, how great my job is and, and what my new title is and, and where I'm Just a sidebar. Maybe it has something to do with pride. But here's Heyman, right? Here's Haman, and he begins to boast, and he says, Hey, I moved up from number five on the Forbes billionaire list to number three last year. I passed up Mark Zuckerberg. He's a very wealthy man. And then he says to his friends and, and his wife, I forgot to tell you this, but you know that my son, he he was always like number one in his class. And just so you guys know, he got accepted to Harvard. And and then he goes on and he says, did you know I got a promotion too in the government? I'm, I'm actually number two. You know, I... I am the prime minister of Persia. And he's going on like this. He's he's boasting. But guess what? Where it used to work in the past to make himself feel better, build up his pride, it's not working this time. It's not. And out of his mouth comes something very stunning. Did you notice what he said? He says this. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. He could not stand the thought of one person not bowing to him. He could not stand the criticism of one person. Which brings me to a second point. pride does not allow us to receive criticism or praise in a godly way i love Ke- i love kevin durant i i really do and i love him even more because now he's coming to brooklyn you know i'm excited about that i've i've already decided i'm going to try harder to be a brooklyn nets fan but i want to tell you something about kevin durant he's he He got into an Instagram battle with a teenager. Did you hear about this? So this teenager posts on Instagram that Stephen Curry and LeBron James are better leaders than him and therefore better basketball players. And Kevin Durant gets a hold of this Instagram post, and this is what he writes back. He, he couldn't even take the criticism of a teenager. This is what he said: "Bruh, go sweep your dorm room. You don't know hoops. Stop tagging me in this trash." And then he started to send messages to this this teenager's personal account. It's just, it's an amazing thing. Now, why, why would Kevin Durant, a superstar basketball player, like he's one of the best basketball players who's ever lived? A multimillionaire need to defend himself to a teenager on Instagram. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure it out. Pride. He couldn't take the criticism of one person. A teenager. We've already seen that. Pride makes us an emotional slaves, and now I want you to see that 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 pride makes us unable to receive criticism. Now that that may not seem like a big deal, but I want you to understand that it really is. If you cannot receive criticism in your life, you also cannot grow, and you cannot learn, and you cannot avoid failures and mistakes. Can you? I mean, I, I once knew the guy, I, you, like you're just, you're actually doomed to repeat the same old mistakes that, that you've are always made, and when failures in your past, you're always going to be able to say this about it it was their fault, it was his fault, it was the situation, it was the culture of the place, and just, you're always going to be say, it was my fault, see? And you kind of sort of doom yourself. I once knew this guy who, who actually, it was amazing to me because he's so good at getting hired, like amazing at getting hired. Every, it was like every six months he would either, A, quit his job or be fired, and then he'd find a new job, and he'd just go rapid fire right, right through these jobs. And he never figured out like, hmm, what's, what's really going on here? See, pride does not allow us to receive criticism, and therefore pride does not allow us to grow. Which brings Haman, and, and this is where we're going to end here today. Haman's gets to the end of this section, and where is he standing? He's staring at a pole. He thinks it's for Mordecai. That's what he thinks. But we know better... Because what does the Bible say? Pride comes before the fall. And I don't want that for you. So I want to stand at that pole with you for a minute and and help you understand first of all this. If you let it, pride will destroy you. It will leave you as a divorced person. You will push away all your friends in your life. You'll lose your job. And eventually your kids will hate you. That's what happens to a self-absorbed person. Someone who's not willing to grow or or receive criticism. This is what happens. Even worse, it will leave you far from God. Can Can we admit that? Because a prideful person doesn't need God. It will leave you very far from God. And ultimately, it will make you what? It will make you a very hateful person. Haman became very hateful, didn't he? The people that criticized him, he couldn't have it, so they had, he had to die. He ghosted him. He wanted to ghost him. So I want you to stand at that pole and contemplate that for a second, but I want you to stand at that pole for one other reason, and it's this. Did you know this, that poles, these poles that they set up in Persia were actually forerunners to the Roman cross? So when I think about this part, I think about also our savior Jesus and his cross. The cross, what does the cross have to do with pride? Two two things. First of all, when we see the cross of Jesus, that is one of the most humbling things in the world because God is saying to us through the cross, your sins were that bad that they merited the death of the son of God. That's a humbling thing. That that's a spiritually healthy thing to know that my sins were that bad. But the cross says something else, too. The cross says this, that God loves you that much. That he, the, the price that he set over you was the blood of his own son. Now that means that you have infinite value. That is incredibly validating. So it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul said, I'm not going to boast in anything about the cross of Christ. Why? Because the cross of Christ says about me, my God thinks that I'm awesome even though I've done nothing good. Right? So I'm going to leave it at this. You belong to Jesus. And there's really three lessons today. First one is this just get off the emotional roller coaster. Get off of being emotionally dependent on others for for your happiness. And hear the voice of the Father saying, You are my son, you are my daughter. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Receive praise and criticism by testing it with the heart of God. Be able to hear it and learn from it. But don't let it ruin your day. And then the third thing is this. Stand at the foot of the cross because that's the spiritually healthy place to be. It's humbling and at the same time, absolutely validating. My God loves me. Amen.